here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. back everybody to wrestling omakase it is episode number 101 101 i don't know that sounds more fun than 100 but we're on the we're officially past the centennial mark of wrestling omakase actually i think that's wrong i think centennial is only years but whatever we're on the second hundred and we have a new microphone which is a story i will go into with taylor in a second because taylor's the guest hello taylor Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. Uh, you're very jet lagged. You told me that already off the air. Yes, I, I, I am. Not as bad as last time I went, but still, um, I am a little bit. I am a little bit sleepy. This is like the best I've ever felt. This this soon after, um, you know, a a trip. Like I basically. The last two trips, I was jet lagged for like a fucking week coming back, and I, I do not get jet lagged at all going there. Thankfully, because that that would be hell. Like I do know people who get really jet lagged when they go, and I'm like, I would hate like wasting days of my trip feeling like shit. Usually, when I go there, you know, I go to bed maybe a little early on the first night, but as long as I go to bed like a reasonable time, I wake up the first day, I feel fine. Maybe wake up a little bit early, but not like like I think I woke up like six or seven on my first day there, but that was it. Um, but like coming back the last couple trips, I was really, really jet lagged for like a week, but here this time, I don't know. I mean, I landed on Sunday, um, you know, slept like 15 hours Sunday into Monday and then Monday to Tuesday, I couldn't sleep. And I woke up absurdly early Tuesday before my first day of work or back at work. And then just basically felt like a zombie all day, but I went to bed like pretty early Tuesday night, like probably between before 10 o'clock. I woke up today, felt, you know, today we're recording this on Wednesday. I feel great, you know. I haven't really felt like anything at all. So I don't know if the, what the key there was, maybe going to bed early that first or that second night or something. But 
I'm going to try to re, re uh, you know, try to get, try to recreate this feeling on my next trip because definitely a lot better than being jet lagged for a fucking week. Yeah. I've felt better than usual. I just get like, mo. it's been moments, especially at work where all of a sudden I'm like, Whoa, uh, <laughs> it's 2am. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I'm a little tired. Yeah. Uh, but they come in waves, but yeah, it's certainly better than previous trips I've taken. I mean, the first time I ever traveled internationally, I came back and I was for a solid week. A zo- after about after about five p.m., I was a zombie, um, which is not the case. It's just I wish I was slightly less sleepy, but you know, it's not as bad as it could be. Uh. my third trip so that's what we'll be talking about this week all about our all about traveling japan for wrestling you know general travel tips you know what what's the best time to travel what are the differences in the times to travel uh you know how to get flights and lodging and food and all that and we're going to recap some of the wrestling shows too um you know some of the shows that we attended that we didn't cover on the first show um there's supposed to be a second show and there almost was a second show. So we'll talk about that. But before we talk about that, Taylor, do you know what I'm drinking right now? Um, what are you drinking right now? Uh, Calpico? I don't know. No, I'm not drinking Calpis. I'm drinking a new Coke. Oh, I, yeah, I had mine earlier. Uh, what you, so we both ordered this. Like, I don't know why we were both like, uh, in the Force Wrestling Slack, we were going crazy trying to order fucking new Coke. I don't know if people saw this, but they they rolled out the return of new Coke uh, to go with, I guess, a promotion for some fucking Netflix show, Stranger Things. I've never seen it. I don't know if you have. but I have, yes. I have seen it. But yeah, I just like people are like, oh, you're really into Stranger Things. I'm like, no, I've never seen the fucking show. I just want to try new Coke. It's like one of the biggest stories in history. One of the biggest marketing business stories in history. This fucking terrible soft drink. <laughs> that almost destroyed Coca-Cola and then almost and then instead made like them fucking rich because they brought back the original and people were so into it that some people think it's a conspiracy this day. But yes, yeah, so I really want to try this damn drink. And you know what, Taylor? Just t- kind of tastes like a Pepsi. Yeah, it's <laughs> a Pepsi. It's it's like a I actually cuz I got mine delivered to work cuz I get most of my stuff delivered to my work because I can't rely on things being delivered to my house. Um, so I used one of my cans. We did a, uh, taste test at work. We did a, um, not a Pepsi challenge, but a Coke versus new Coke, oh, yeah. uh, challenge. So you gotta have all three. You gotta have Pepsi too. Yeah. They do taste, um, different, but at the end, I think we were all sort of, uh, underwhelmed, but. So are you a Coke drinker or Pepsi drinker? Which one are you usually? So I'm usually a Coke. I don't drink that much soft drinks, but when I do, it would be a Coke. I am also a Coke drinker. Um, so so I I wouldn't say I disliked New Coke, but it's definitely my, – my general feeling on it was like I can understand why New Coke won all those taste tests because it is like very – because that's why they, they rolled this out ultimately. They tried this flavor and these taste tests with regular Coke and with Pepsi, and, and people kept saying they preferred New Coke. Because in some ways it does kind of taste like, like an in between, definitely closer to Pepsi, 
but like a little bit less sweet than Pepsi, you know? And you can definitely, it's hard to tell maybe, but it's definitely there, I think. Like a very slightly less sweet Pepsi. So it, I can see it, why. Oh, yeah, it has a more, I feel like Coke has more, it's sort of weird describing it, but Coke has a little bit more flavor. Yeah. Like it feels like new Coke is a little bit of like a, um, like I guess it also, I don't know if it was just the Coke I was drinking or, you know, drink, I don't know if it's different drinking it out of a can or a, you know, from a fountain, but I feel like it had, new Coke has a little less um, bite in it, I guess I would say. Yeah. And that sure. it's sort of a smoother drink. I mean, it certainly wasn't bad, but it's, you know, I sort of drank it and was like, um, okay. Um, drinking now, here's the other part I was going to say drinking this drink and being a big, you know, a big Coke drinker. Not that I drink it all the time, but if, whenever I'm going to have a soft drink, it, you know, it's definitely, I really don't like Pepsi. Being a, a Coke drinker, if I can definitely put myself in the shoes of these people in 1985 and tasting this shit and being like, what the fuck, motherfucker? Give me back my goddamn Coca-Cola. So I definitely understand why these people were so pissed off at the time. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. I'm glad I tried it. I don't know if it was worth the fucking $25 or whatever, but it was a fun thing to try. Uh, if If this was like a you know, a Coke too. I could actually see myself occasionally getting this, but pro which they did try to do that by the way, after new Coke failed and they had to bring back the original, they rebranded this as Coke two, but I could see myself like occasionally getting it, but like probably not enough to, you know, make the drink profitable, which I guess is why they ended up dropping Coke too. But yeah, that's my general thoughts on new Coke. Give it a, yeah, give I thought it, it was. <laughs> oh, give oh, me a star, give it a star rating. rating. <laughs> oh gosh, um, I'm gonna give it a solid three and a half. Yeah, that's what I was gonna. Good. I was gonna say three and a half. Um, but so as I said, I'm half. not like a huge um, soft drink person. So maybe disregard. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> disregard my gets, opinion. Regular Coca-Cola gets a four and a half. Pepsi gets a two and a quarter. Maybe lower, actually. Pepsi gets a one and a half. And fucking Fanta Melon gets five stars. We have to convince... To bring this back to Japan, we have to convince Fanta to give us the melon soda in America. It's so good. It is very good. Melon soda is good. They've got a lot of good drinks. I mean, I was yeah. drinking that Picari Sweat, even though I didn't really uh, <laughs> need the, the IV uh, fluids or whatever is in there. Um but I like yeah, that Picari drink. Sweat's good. Uh, it's got a little bit of a weird name that makes you think you're drinking sweat, but you know. And it has Nicole a sort of cloudy uh, look to it that also sort of makes it look like sweat. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very weird. Um, this was my girlfriend Nicole's first trip, and she the one thing she had a little bit of trouble, you know, getting used to. Uh, just not being able to have any diet soda because she's it's pretty much all she drinks is diet Pepsi mm -hmm. and they just that does not exist in Japan, you know, like at all. I, I don't think I've ever seen it and you know anywhere. Have you? Have you seen diet soda anywhere? Um not they that have, I recall. They they sometimes they will have Coke Zero or you know on the rare on the rare places you can find Pepsi at all because it's very Coke dominant. They might have Pepsi Zero Sugar or whatever the fuck. Um, and they have something else called like 
that weird like coke life or something that's like supposed to be good for you which i'm sure it isn't but um but yeah i've never seen diet coke or diet pepsi um and, you know when we went to spain it was sort of the same thing but you would very occasionally find the diet soda but japan's just like nowhere so she had a hard time because that's all she drinks uh here at home but you know i tried to tell her you know try the try this try that but didn't it had it took her a while to find something she liked and she finally just ended up trying to drink regular Pepsi. So well, let me take a sip of the new Coke on air here. Um so let's get to the topic of the day here, which is oh actually first we gotta tell the story about the microphone. So <laughs> my original microphone, the I had a, a white blue snowball. That thing lasted a, exactly 100 episodes. Every single episode we ever recorded was with that microphone, whether it was, you know, over the air or, you know, you know, on location, like the Dominion episode, or not Dominion, the Best of Super Junior final episode was the last one. I took it to All In last year. Uh, I took it to Strong Style Evolved. So this microphone has been in a lot of, in a lot of different places. We took it out on Sunday. We got everybody together last Sunday after, after we all attended Dominion to record another episode on Dominion, you know, plus some of the other shows we attended. So I go to turn the fucking thing on, and <laughs> the microphone, basically the wire, you plug the back of the, the, the wire from the USB into the back of the microphone, and it had its own little weird port. I don't, I don't really know what kind of port that was, honestly. It was like this, you know, this little square. I'm sure it has a word, but I don't know what it is. But the wire no longer fits in there is the point. So the wire, like basically something happened to it in transit between Tokyo and Osaka when I guess it was in my uh, briefcase, which was a very, very packed up briefcase. And the thing has got bent or something and it just will no longer plug in. So we had no microphone. We had no show because um, I w- didn't really want to record the laptop microphone. I figured that would sound like shit, especially with like fucking six of us all trying to record, talk into it and had the microphone pick it all up. I mean, listening back to the last one, I don't know if you did, you know, there are definitely some people that are easier to hear than others. And that's like a pretty decent microphone. So I can't even imagine trying to do that with, you know, just a computer mic. Um, plus, uh, Nicole was not thrilled with us recording anyway. So it was a convenient reason to not record because she really wanted us to like go get food instead of, you know, waiting around for us to do our fucking stupid podcast. But um, that's what happened. So that's why there was no Omakase 101 from Japan. But Taylor, there was something else. Do you want to tell the people about the other thing? Well, there. I know there's a question coming up in the Q&A section, so I'm going to delay my answer until that. Um... Oh, Okay, so you're gonna let, it's a tease, folks. So I don't ruin. All, so I don't ruin the the question, and we don't have to say, "Oh, we already talked about this." So we have a tease for later on. You can hear what what almost happened. Uh, but yes, so there was no wrestling omakase from Japan after the after the first one, where your buddy fell asleep live on the air. Yes, yes. <laughs> I haven't got up to that point of the episode yet. I haven't. I was. I got like halfway through. Um, Look, it made yeah. for a memorable 100th episode. <laughs> it did. That's true. <laughs> this man falling asleep live on the air. Um, I mean, we, we, we could have woken him up much earlier than we did. We just all thought it was very funny. So we just kind of left him snoring on the air. Uh, but yeah, I mean, not that he snores his last equipment anyway, but 
<laughs> I love that when he gets to this. It's okay. He's like four months behind, so he'll probably never hear this. Uh, quite in love you, buddy. All right. Uh, Omakase number 101. We're here to talk about, basically, we're going to talk a little bit about our, you know, the shows we didn't get a chance to talk about. But I figure because no one really wants to hear just two-week-old Cold Dominion takes, that we'd also make the episode more about how to travel to Japan in general. You know, I've done this three times now. I went on my first trip for uh, the very last Invasion Attack, before they changed the name, Invasion Attack 2016, when a trip that was actually organized by uh, Adam Farrell, who we saw on this trip. He was here as well. But I went to that in 2016, and then I went with you, or you came with me, I guess, more like it was like my trip I organized for the uh, the G1 in 2017, and, and it was almost about two years before we were all we both returned, uh, you know, this year for the Best of Super Junior Finals in Dominion. So we can talk a little bit about different the different experiences traveling in different times of year, and you know what we liked and didn't like, but I also happened to do like an anime convention panel on this. Um, you know, me and a few of my friends who also travel to Japan, you know, pretty frequently, we do a panel basically just called like how to travel to Japan. So, you know, a lot of this, I do have experience talking about this stuff, but yeah, Taylor, on your second trip, what did you think of, give me your thoughts over on the trip. Why do you, why did you return to Japan and did you enjoy yourself as much the second time around? Um, well, my overall thoughts were I had a great time. Um, I mean, really the reason I went back was, um, not, not to say that I didn't enjoy anything about being in Japan, but, but, but was for the wrestling shows. Um, I think that was probably by far my favorite part of the previous trip. Uh, and it was probably my favorite part of this trip, but also I do really like, um, the country, it is sort of convenient that this place that has all this wrestling I like is also a pretty uh, great country with a lot to see. You know, I often, um, when I talk to people about especially going to Tokyo, I often compare it to New York in that you can go for a week um, and really only do a small percentage of the things that you can do in the city. I mean, you'll you'll see like what, like ten percent, maybe. Yeah. Like, there's almost if you if you have an ambitious schedule, like there's just so much shit to do there. Like it, what I would tell people if they're if they're going to travel to Japan, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, you love Japanese wrestling, you know, so you have that draw. Um, if you like, you know, the more geeky Japanese pastimes, you know, if you're into anime and manga and, or games and all of the above, like there's so much shit for you to see there. And I can give you, I'm going to give you some recommendations on this podcast of some of the stuff that, you know, I really like, but I'm sure you, you've probably even heard of a lot of it. But even if you're not into that stuff, I mean, you know, which I don't really think you are, Taylor, um, you still have, you know, some great museums. You have the parks and the parks are what blew Nicole away because she's a lifelong New Yorker, but she's just like, you know, we have Central Park and that's great. But like, when you go to um, your Yogi Park, which is like the one uh, where the Meiji Shrine is, which I think you've been there too, right? Yeah, I went there. I went there this trip. Yeah. So yeah. I've been there twice and I went in 2016 and I went again this year to take Nicole. And the, it, it just, it suddenly feels like you're in a fucking forest. 
you know, when you're walking through there. Like Central Park, I guess, could sort of feel like that if you go deep enough. But like your Yogi Park, you're you just go through that first gate and you, it suddenly feels like you're not in a city anymore. And so they just have so many, they have some really great outdoor spaces that are just, you know, really, really cool to walk through. That one in Shinjuku Gyoen. I don't know if you went to that too. The uh, I don't think we went there. That's another one I highly recommend if you like parks and gardens because Shinjuku Gyoen is like basically this gigantic park that has like uh, a Japanese traditional landscape garden in it, like a French rose garden. Um, it takes a long time to see it all, like a bunch of tea houses where you can have like traditional Japanese sweets. Um, you, there's like a pagoda that's, I think, the only, I, I forget what they said. I think it's like the only Chinese style uh, pagoda in the entire country. It was like built from, well, I, it, it, Asian history is very complicated, but it was built from I, something about Taiwan. Uh, it, honestly, it was probably built when Japan like ruled Taiwan. Um, it, but, but the, you know, based on the timeline, but the uh, the plaque there kind of, you know, kind of glosses over that and just is like, yeah, it was built because we were close to Taiwan at the time, which I think that's uh, that's one way to put it. But anyway, um, <laughs> I don't want to get myself canceled, so I'm trying to think of the nicest way to put it. But yes, like um, it's like the only Chinese style pagoda in the entire country supposedly that was really cool and you can actually walk into it and then see like a view of the rest of the garden and it's just a really 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 cool uh green space i definitely recommend it costs money which your yogi doesn't cost but i think it's like five dollars or something so it's not it's not that expensive also you can go there and try to if you're if you're a forwarder you can just go there and try to growl at them because apparently that they might let you in because there's like a new story about this japanese man at the gate who like failed to collect uh like a park admission fees from something like 150,000 tourists in a two-year period because he felt that he like was intimidated by by foreigners which is like oh my god it's a lot of lost revenue for this poor garden but uh but yeah that's Shinjuku Gyoen definitely recommend that one um uh Ueno Park I don't I think you've been there right yeah I went there last I went there I've been there both times. I went there both. Now, last yeah. time we went, we ran through it because that's where the Big Japan shows were. Yeah. Um, so we were sort yeah, we of went like, to the museum too, didn't we? Did yeah, but we went to the museum. museum. We were in that museum for maybe a total of like 25 minutes. Oh, yeah. Which I went back in I mean, time I'm full, and it's really great. Uh, and we spent like four hours there. Oh, wow. Um, um, but yeah, the park, the, the park itself is great too, though. It's just a really beautiful park, and there's a lot of like shrines and stuff like that if you want to see that. But uh, but yeah, there's a lot of really cool green spaces. That was Nicole's favorite highlight. Um, you know, so that's that's another big draw. What else? What else did you like about Japan, Taylor? Give me some other examples. Um, I mean, obviously the food. That's an easy one. Uh, yeah, the food, food is amazing. The food is really good. It's just a very nice. Um, I guess this seems like an oversimplification of it, but it's just a very nice culture where even though you're in, you know, in Tokyo, in somewhere like Osaka, you're in a sort of quote unquote big city. Um, but it doesn't feel like 
if you were to say to someone, if people listening don't live in New York and you say, oh, you're going to take a vacation to New York, you know, you think you're going to have a vacation that's sort of in some ways high stress because you're going to this place, you're trying to figure out all this stuff. You know, there's all these people, they're going around, you know, some people are not helpful because they're trying to go from point A to point B. Um, whereas Tokyo, it's sort of, John, as you mentioned, and it's something that came up, you know, going in the parks, you sort of don't even think you're in a city, but there's sometimes when you, when I would go down sort of a side street and you go like a hundred feet down a side street and it's silent. Yeah. It's very, it's no sound. It's very quiet. I think I, we finally heard somebody honk, I think, uh, like on a, a second to last day there or something. And that, and I guess like my, you know, I've been, I've probably spent more than a month there combined now, I guess like, you know, about 45 days there or something. And that was the first time I have ever heard a car honk in the entire country in like a month and a half spent there. So obviously if you know New York, it's a big fucking difference. Yeah, I heard one on this trip. I heard one honk. Yeah. Um, so it and so it's just a little bit more of you know. I think when sometimes when I'm in New York and I tell people, oh, I'm going to Tokyo, they think, oh, it's such a big metropolitan city. So I think they think it's like going to New York, but it's very much you know it's also so organized. I mean, and we'll probably talk more about this later, but. You know, going on the trains um, is sort of night and day with New York. Oh, oh God. So that's a thing that's... <laughs> Plus is too, I, I, I yes. found out on this trip. Um, but also, you know, going into, you know, restaurants and things, it's just everyone is very accommodating and people are very friendly. Um, so it's sort of the best of, uh, for me, because for me, I like, I like, going to cities. I like being in cities. I think they're fun. You know, some people don't like cities, um, but it sort of is the best of both worlds where it's a city, but it doesn't feel, it's not overwhelming. Um, you know, sometimes the language barrier is overwhelming, but the city itself, um, you know, to me, at least to me, has never felt overwhelming. I never felt, oh my God, I'm in a city and, you know, this is so stressful. Yeah. walking around and you know there's all these people because everyone you know people know where to walk they walk um you know they know where to walk i mean another thing is like bikes in tokyo ride on the sidewalk and i always whenever i'm there i think if bikes were riding on the sidewalk in new york i would think get off i would think get off the sidewalk and you know ride in the street or something but for some reason in Tokyo, I'm just, I just think, oh yeah, they were right on the sidewalk. Yeah. Just cause I think it's, you know, they're more aware of you. You, you're more aware of them. I don't know what it is, but so it really combines, as you mentioned, the parks, the city aspect, you know, there's all this culture, obviously, you know, we think of the United States and we think, oh, this building is very old. It was built in, you know, 1890. And then you go to Japan, they say, oh, this building was built in 1300. It's been burned down four times and we've rebuilt it every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So I mean, there are there are some buildings there. I mean, there's one in Kyoto. I mean, because you know, unfortunately, the fucking country got firebombed by us. But in Kyoto, there, you know, there's a lot more buildings that have been able to last a lot longer since, uh, thankfully, Kyoto was mostly spared the firebombing and didn't get attacked in any other way. So there's this one castle there that you absolutely have to see if you want to see like an old building, which is Nijo Castle. Um, I don't know if you went to that with us, did you? I think you did last time, right? Yeah. So Nijo Castle is the one where like, you know, that that building has been there since, you know, the early 1600s. You know, so you're talking hundreds of years before America was even a thing. And it's one of the few buildings where like that are that old. They actually let you walk around the interior. Um you know, they did replace the murals. The murals are all like the originals are taken out and put, you know, and, and these are recreations. But like still, you're still walking around inside of a building that's been there, you know, since the 1600s. Now, obviously, there's other countries that have old buildings and stuff, but we're from fucking America, which, you know, does not. We, the, the pre, the pre whatever 1700s American structures were you know all destroyed because you know the people here all got killed yay america (laughs) but it is something like to to walk around in a you know in a society that has that kind of real history that you can trace back you know where the people have been there since you know like prehistoric times um but yeah you know the history is a big thing um like you brought you brought the trains if if you're someone that just like likes trains because there are people like that and i like not that i like obsessed with trains or anything but i definitely enjoy riding in them as a mode of transportation that honestly could be a big enough reason for you to go to japan alone because there are like so many different types of trains there um some of them are really amazing like the shinkansen is you know the the bullet train is like a type of train that's just so fucking cool like one of my friends who was on the trip with us, who was only on like half the trip, uh, actually my more my girlfriend's friend, but my friend too, uh, Rich. You know, did you meet him? I think you went for two seconds, right? Mm, did I? I don't think I did. Okay, well, he was on the trip with us, and one of his requests was just to ride the Shinkansen because you know he really just always wanted to do that, I guess. And we we rode it because he was not coming to Osaka with us; he was leaving uh, the day before, so we just rode it to Atami, which is like a like a beach town outside of Tokyo, like 45 minutes. And we wrote it there just so he could try it. So, I mean, I think that some people just might want to try riding a bullet train because it is like, like we don't have anything like that in America. You know, other countries do have high-speed rail. Um, so if you're from Europe, it's probably not as big of a deal because I did ride the one in Spain. But America does not have that. I mean, we have the fucking Acela, which I think goes, you know, the bare minimum for high-speed like two miles or something in the entire uh, trip from New York to Boston. But yeah, I mean, it is like an experience just riding that Shinkansen if you've never ridden real high-speed rail before. So, you know, and then all the other train lines are just so fucking convenient. I mean, you know, we, the the ones in the city obviously just come like every three or four minutes. Um, You know, I remember... When, when Nicole walked by, like there was like a, uh, you know, a timetable for the Osaka loop line. And she was like, you know, what is this timetable? Um, and it, it, when she looks and sees it's like every four or five minutes. And then it's like Sundays and holidays. 
And she's like, just fucking like, she's like angry as a New Yorker because it's like, what bullshit, basically? Like MTA on fucking Sundays and holidays is like, what, like every 15 minutes probably. So I don't know. That's just something. But then like even like commuter, their idea of commuter rail, which would be more like New Jersey Transit for us or Metro North. Uh, we've, we had to ride that on our last our last Airbnb because we were like uh, in Kita Ikibukuro, which is like one stop up on that commuter rail. Like, you know, the, the kind of things that take you to and from the Tokyo suburbs. And those still run every five fucking minutes. Like the most you ever have to wait for a commuter rail is like, uh, you know, I think like 12 minutes uh, pretty late at night or on the weekend. And meanwhile, like New Jersey Transit, like their idea of an hourly schedule is like, oh, we have two trains an hour. Uh, during rush hour, we might increase to three. So it's just like, it's just mind-blowing how much better they are at public transit. It's not even just trains, too, because we rode we rode the buses. And, you know, a couple times we had to ride it to get to the Ghibli Museum, which, you know, I highly recommend going to that if you're uh, into, if you see into the Ghibli movies. It, it's, I heard it was, uh, you know, kind of on the small side. So my expectations were lowered going in but i was actually blown away i thought it was really really beautiful and i thought they did a, a really great job with those exhibits but anyway so we rode the buses to get there and the bus was fine there was like english you know they announced all the stops and you know they, there was like a, a screen telling you what stops are coming up which there is no fucking screens on <laughs> on mta buses i can tell you that firsthand so even the buses there are just like so far ahead of us but I mean, yeah, the public transit is so good. Um, if you're scared about getting around, because I've heard this before, you know, there's English everywhere. The the signs are in English. The stops are in English. They're announced in English. Um, you know, it's nothing to be scared of at all. Well, and I don't know if this was the case. I don't even remember if this was the case last time we went. But Google Maps, in terms of the trains, there is so precise you almost can't get lost on the trains if you use Google Maps. I mean, they tell you, you know, you get in the station and you want to get in the fifth car. And then when you get out of the fifth car, you want to walk this way towards, you know, yeah. number four and you'll go out. Um, you know, the, the walking around is a little less precise, but the train directions are so incredibly precise yeah, they will tell you the best car. I mean, they don't do this all the time. Like Osaka, I know they don't do it as much. But in Tokyo, it's like it's, they'll tell you the best car for your transfer, the fastest car for your exit. They'll say, like, go to car five, go to car eight. And then, you know, even if you miss that on Google, like the the subways, I think, I don't know about the JR, but the subways definitely, they'll have like a thing across and it will tell you, like, um, you know, here's the here's where your car is. Here are the exits. This exit's for this. This exit is for that. I mean, they could not hold your hand more, honestly. Like, I really don't know how you get lost even, like, transferring stations unless you're just, like, not paying attention to your surroundings. So the signs are everywhere. I mean, you're, you'll be, they announce every every stop, you know, you know, change here for this line, this line, this line. Even though, like, these companies are technically competitors, they will tell you, like, here, change here. You'll be on Tokyo Metro, this, one of the subway lines. They'll tell you, change here for JR, change here for Tokyo, change here for this, change here for that. So it's very easy. Um, we're on this topic anyway. Let's talk about the trains in general. Um, 
the biggest there's two things you need to know about the trains. First of all, uh, the JR Pass. You're going to want to think about whether or not you want to get one. Now, the JR Pass, what that does for you is you pay a, a set amount up front. You have to buy this before you go to Japan. Only foreign tourists can buy this. Uh, you cannot buy this if you're going to Japan, like on business or you know with a business visa or student visa. You have to be going there with just a regular uh, 90-day tourist. Uh, I guess it's technically a visa. We don't need a visa. They just stamp you when you enter. So you buy the JR Pass, the exchange order here. Uh, you pay a set amount. I don't, I don't remember how much it is. Let me look that up. Um, a week is a week is two sixty. Yeah, so it's a little expensive, but basically, what you're going to be using this for is, uh, and what makes it worth it is if you want to, you go on the Shinkansen for long, long distance travel because that itself is expensive. So yes, a week is two six two sixty nine right now actually. Um, and, you know, you can also buy what's called a green pass, which gets you access to um, the their first class accommodations, basically just like more room, more seat room. You don't really, what I would tell you right now is do not buy it just for the seat room because you get a lot of seat room in, in regular class anyway. It's not like a, riding a plane or a uh, even Amtrak. It's, you, you do get quite a bit of seat room. I mean, the seats are comfier, but they're not like $100 comfier. The one time you might want to buy a green pass is uh, during high high volume times. Like, you know, when we were traveling on our last trip, it was uh, what, like, the, this major Japanese holiday called Oban. So, we, you know, it was not a good idea for us to get the regular pass because the trains might have all been sold out. Uh, so the green the green cars don't fill up as much, so you have a much easier time getting a, a train during high peak periods. Otherwise, you're fine at the regular pass, though. So, so JR Pass... $269 up front. But what that gives you is for that seven-day period, you can use every single JR train with only a few little exceptions. Um, so what you want to decide basically is, you know, how are you going to travel on the Shinkansen? And if so, like how much and how far? Because basically the Shinkansen, you know, it's based on distance. But if you want to do Tokyo to Osaka, that right there is basically the cost of the pass. Um, you know, it's about 130 each way. So at that point, it would probably be worth it for you to get the pass because you would get to get on, you know, every single other JR train during that week. And there's a ton of JR trains. That's like the most common type of train. It's Japan Rail. It used to be their uh their national railway for it went private. So, you know, you'll use that on the in Tokyo, on the Yamanote line and on a lot of other uh, little tra like trains in you know, the Osaka, the Osaka Loop line. In Kyoto, there's lines. There's lines to get from Osaka to Kyoto to Kobe, which are all pretty close together. So you, you'll use that a lot, and you'll get on all those trains for free. So basically, if you're going to make one round trip Shinkansen, it's worth it right there. If you're going to go on the Shinkansen more than that, which we did, we went, to, went back to Kyoto at the end, uh, to go to DDT, then it's you know really really worth it because you know just buying those Shinkansen tickets on its own would have been like four hundred dollars. Um, if you're not going to go on the Shinkansen though, if you're just planning to stay in Tokyo, then the JR Pass is absolutely not worth it because you're not going to rack up two hundred sixty nine dollars worth of um, <laughs> worth of uh, local train fares. You know most of the local train train fares are like between one hundred and fifty and three hundred yen which is like, you know, between $1.50 and $3. Uh, it is based on distance. 
So if you're not going to get a JR pass, or even if you do get a JR pass, the other thing you want to get is called a IC card. So either a Suica card or a Passmo card, depending on where you buy it. And that card will basically just work like a like a Metro card in New York or I don't know, whatever the fuck they call the card for the T in Boston. But the great thing about it is it, it's cross-honored. So whether you're riding the JR trains or the subway or private railway, they all take it. You just tap it in, tap it out, and they automatically deduct the fare. So that's like the most important one. You're all going to want to get that. Even if you get the JR Pass for when you ride non-JR trains, you're going to want to get that card. And, you know, just be, makes it so much easier. You don't have to worry about buying tickets. So uh, it's very easy to use the trains there, especially once you have the the Suica card and the JR Pass. Um, but, you know, it's a very vast system and you'll be using it to get all over it. There's no, there's absolutely no reason to rent a car there. I mean, unless you're really going to go out into the rural areas where there's no train lines. If you're st- if you're going to be in Tokyo or Osaka or any other major city, I mean, there's no reason to rent a car. It's, it would be an, an like you know, an uh, something that impedes your progress. If anything, I mean, I don't care if you normally are a drive drive person in in America. You do not want to rent a car in Japan. I don't have anything to add about the trains. Uh, no, I think you um, summed it all up pretty well. <laughs> I mean, just for an example, I'll use because um, I did get the JR Pass this time, and our only big um, Shinkansen trip was Tokyo, Osaka, and back. Which I think I bought my pass for two sixty, and when I looked it up, that trip alone cost two fifty. Yeah. Um, but then also on the way back, because essentially what we did is we went, we went, um, Osaka right to the airport, to the Narita airport in Tokyo. Um, and you can take the Narita express, which goes from Tokyo station to the airport. Yeah. Um, and normally would cost 3,500 yen or something like that. It's like $35. Um, which is $35 or so. Yeah. Um, and use your JR pass for that. So we ended up doing that um, to save money. So that even without the fact that we used the JR pass all week when we were in Osaka um, already put us into saving money. So I would, I mean, I would estimate we probably saved at least $60 doing the JR pass compared to doing it all um on a suica on an ic card yeah um so that was my experience this time because i had been debating it um knowing that i'd only be taking one um big journey but it ended up i mean if you're even close with the small day trips even taking out the narita express which was 35 i mean we would have saved money with the small trips because i mean we were taking at least one or two JR trains every day that second week in Osaka because we were going to Kyoto and Kobe and yeah. uh, we went to Nara. So, I mean, between those trains, I mean, some of those trains are pretty cheap. You know, you take a trip and it costs 200 yen, which is about $2. Um, but, I mean, over a week, you know, that money adds up and you and you save money. So, yeah. Uh, I recommend that. And then with the um, with the IC cards, the great thing about them is that they don't 
Um, I know in New York, if you get a Metro card, they have expiration dates um, for reasons I don't really <laughs> comprehend. I, I don't know. Maybe there is some reason that I've never known about why that um, why those cards expire, but the IC cards never expire. So I got one on my first trip, um, and actually ended up with about $9, um, on it. And I kept it, made sure to bring it back. And when I came back, I already had $9 on the card. So, yeah, uh, and just pulled it out and used it and had no problems with it. So that's another good thing about those cards is that they, you know, if you if go you back multiple times, they'll work every time. If you don't use it for 10 years, apparently they do expire. Oh, but, I but yes, that. I didn't. As long as you come, I mean, look, I am, I am kind of on an every two year plan now, so I'm going to use it many times before the 10 years is up. So, you know, but I, I think it's like from the date, it's not 10 years from when you get it. It's like, if you, it's from, from the last time you use it, if another 10 years passes, it will expire. So as long as you go back, before 10 years, you can keep using it. But yeah, I have like a few dollars left on mine too. Again, I, I've used the same one for three three straight trips now. So, you know, it is cool to just have that and be able to pull it out and just, uh, you know, start using the trains. Um, so yeah, you mentioned the JR, the, um, the Narita Express. You have that option, which the JR Pass covers. You also have the KSA Skyliner, which I recommend taking if... You're not if you're not using a JR Pass right away for or or it expired already before the last thing, which is what I use both ways because the, the Skyline is actually faster than Arctic Express. It's a a private railway line, but it's like one of the faster non Shinkansen trains in the entire uh, in the entire country. I think it is the fastest one actually, but you know it, it gets you from uh, either Ueno or Nippori, which are like these two northern. Uh, districts in Tokyo, it gets you from there to Narita in like I think 38 to 44 minutes, whereas the Narita Express takes like more like an hour. Um, um, I think the Skyliner takes 39 and the Narita Express takes 55 or something like that. Yeah, so I mean, like it's not a huge difference, but especially when you first fucking get in there, you know, after you've been on a, on a 14 hour fucking flight or whatever, or maybe even longer, like with layovers and stuff. Like that 15 minutes makes it big, feels like a big difference to me, but I don't know. They're about the same price anyway, but obviously the JR Pass covers, you know, if you have a JR Pass, you might as well use the Narita Express because it'll be free. But, you know, if you don't have a JR Pass for that day, uh, you know, I usually take the, the KSA Skyliner. The only thing is if you're going somewhere that's not in Northwest Tokyo or nor- I should say Northeast Tokyo, if you're going to like South- Southern Tokyo, especially, the Narita Express might be faster because you can get pro- where you're going without having to transfer. But otherwise, I would say probably take the Skyliner. Um, but yeah, we can talk a little bit about flights. That's a good transition. So flight, like the, the problem with flights basically is you're going you're gonna to pay vastly different uh, amounts of money depending on when you go. Um, you know, my first trip, I paid... You know, I went in late March, early April for cherry blossom season, which is one of the greatest times years ago anyway, because obviously the entire country is so beautiful because of the cherry blossoms. Um, you know, I paid about ten fifty, you know, one thousand fifty for a nonstop flight from JFK to Narita. Um the second time we went, which was uh, August, unfortunately, the summer is one of the most expensive times to go. And you know, kids are out of school. All that's expensive to fly anywhere, so we paid 
you know, we did like kind of a, uh, like a self layover, which is very dangerous, but we paid about 1400 to fly to LA and then transfer to another flight from LA to Tokyo. So we paid about 1400 total. Um, this time I managed to get a, you know, it wasn't looking great, especially for nonstop. Like the nonstop never really came down from about 1700, which is a lot more than I wanted to pay. But I had a Google flight alert, which is what I recommend doing right now. If you have, especially if you have dates that you that you know you want to go, set up a Google flight alert and you'll get you can catch a sale, which is what I did. I caught a sale from Delta and you know a flight that normally costs like twenty two hundred, which is a a pretty quick layover. Honestly, almost I was worried it was too quick, but I did make my layover. Uh, a very quick layover in Detroit, so it was JFK Detroit, which you know is like under two hours. And then a 45-minute layover, which uh, as you got closer to the flight, scared the crap out of me, but I ended up making it no problem. Um, and then another flight from Detroit to Tokyo, you know, which is a little under 13 hours. Um, and that, on the way back, it was uh, Narita to um, to Portland, which is like nine hours, and then a two-hour layover, and then six, about five and a half hours back from Portland to JFK. So the entire thing round trip was $900, which is great. I mean, that's like, you know, anytime you can get something you like under a thousand, uh, especially from New York, I fuck, you know, jump on it right away. So that's what I ended up doing. Uh, I wasn't thrilled with Delta, honestly, especially on their, their domestic flight back from Portland, but their international flights were fine, I guess. But the domestic flight was a kind of a, kind of a shit show. Um, but yeah, but that's, you know, I don't regret that price at all. Um, and then I was looking at uh, the Tokyo Dome, you know, what what the price would be like to get an idea. I looked at this year from about now. And right now you can get, if you leave like December 28th, so if you leave after Christmas and come back, you know, the middle of the week after the Dome, like January 7th, 8th, 9th, maybe, you can get like a nonstop for like, you know, about the, what I paid for that spring trip, like around 1050 so, you know, if, I, if I'm going to, when, when I do go back, it'll probably be for the Dome, not this coming year, maybe the, either the year after the year after that. So that I'm definitely hoping will hold up in a year or two, because like 1050 is exactly what I want to pay for nonstop. But what, 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 did your, what did your flight end up being like this year? I know you took like a layover in Canada. Yeah, we had a layover in um, Montreal both ways. Um, and I was sort of with you where we had a very tight, um connection both ways on the way there it was supposed to be an hour and 26 minutes and on the way back it was an hour and 10 i was a little bit worried about that um on the way there our flight was very badly um our second flight was very badly delayed um from montreal to narita was delayed about four and a half hours or so um which was not ideal, but it was just a thing where the plane that they needed broke or it was something where it broke. I mean, the airline was very nice. They gave us food vouchers for the airport. They gave us this discount code, which I haven't even really looked into to buy more flights. It was Air Canada. Um, You know, the flight from New York to Montreal is only about one hour. It's very fast. Um, And then the flight from Montreal to um, Narita was about 13 hours going and about 12 hours coming back. Um, So it was pretty easy. Last time I went, 
um, for the trip with you, John. I I think I paid like twelve hundred, but I had a pretty terrible. I flew to Taipei, which is past um, Japan. Yeah, Taiwan. So the um, flight was about fifteen and a half hours, um, and then I had about a four or five hour layover, both coming and going. Um, so that was not great. Um, on the way back for this trip, our flight was on time. I mean, we got through customs and everything very fast and got on the plane. So that was really no problem. My only complaint was the food, um, on the flight was horrendous. It was so <laughs> bad. See, the, the food um, was fine. I was a little worried about that on Delta, but our, the international flights were fine. So. I mean, it is the wor- easily the worst food I've ever had. Wow. On any of the international flights I've taken, it was it was really not good. Um, I mean, but, but the flights themselves were fine. Actually, it's uh, funny enough on the two long flights um, from Montreal to Japan and Japan back to Montreal. Um, I didn't have anyone in the seat next to me on either flight. Um, which was very lucky. In fact, on the first flight, I was in the middle grouping of three seats and I didn't have anyone in either uh, of the two seats next that, to me. That happened to me on one fucking flight. I don't remember which one it was. It was like some really long flight once. That's so wonderful. That um, yeah, it makes a huge difference to be able to sort of spread out in any way that you want instead of having to constrict yourself. Also, um, not having to be at the at the bathroom because I was on the aisle both times. Um, to be at the bathroom whim of oh. two people, and you know, is oh, tough. So you. I only had one person. I'm on. I was on the aisle on all the flights, and Quinlan was on the window seat. And anyone who's spent any time with Quinlan will know I was getting up a lot <laughs> because that man has to piss a lot. <laughs> um. Yeah, but other than that, the flights, I mean, they had the screen, entertainment screens. Um, I tended to get stuck near people who actually are, planes had dimming windows, which I don't I don't know if that's a new thing, but I had never been on a plane where they don't have the shades that you pull up and down. They have a button at the bottom that, like, blue tints the windows. Um and so we were flying there and it was um, they turned off all the lights on the plane so that people could sleep. And the one guy in my row uh, would not dim his window. Of course. Um, so it was a totally dark plane, except for this one very bright light <laughs> next to me from the guy who would not dim his window. Um, and go, finally, man. one of the um, one of the people came over and said, you know, please dim your please dim your window you're the only person who has not dimmed their window and he did so uh yeah it was fine i mean i certainly prefer a shorter flight rather than long and coming back it was very helpful to because last time i went i went to taipei so it was a short flight it was three hours and then 15 and a half um and i certainly prefer getting the long flight out of the way first as opposed to the short flight um, I think just psychologically, it's a little bit better to, you know, you get off the plane and you're like, oh, I'm halfway there. But when you do the short flight first, um, you're not even close. So yeah. Um, I think this time I paid 
ten fifty. Yeah. Uh, if I remember, maybe I mean, a little bit less than that. June is definitely cheaper than uh, August. It just sucks that we can't get nonstop for around that price. But so if you go, if you go pretty much, um, you know, in the fall, you can find nonstop for around that one thousand. And again, depending on where you're flying from, you know, New, we're talking like New York here. It's like East Coast. Um, you know, you can find it in the spring, as we just discussed. I think like May is where it starts getting harder. Um, you can find it even like in the hot winter, you know, in the hot around the holidays, just don't try to fly. Don't try to fly before Christmas, basically. Like if you try to fly before Christmas, you're not going to find nonstop for a thousand. You might not even find, you know, a stop for a thousand. So, you know, but yeah, um, there's two airports in, in Tokyo, which we, the Narita is the one we talked a lot about, which, you know, is about an, technically like about an hour outside of Tokyo in uh, Chiba to the Northeast. But there's also Haneda, which is a little harder to fly into from America. There are some flights, but it is rare. So, but if you can't, like, if you, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Like, don't pay a ton of extra money to go to Haneda unless you're like fucking rich or something, in which case, you know, go get a fucking fire plane or whatever you want to do. But (laughs) for Haneda, um, if it's around the same price, it is better to fly into Haneda because Haneda's right to the, the south of Tokyo. Um, it's only about 20 to 30 minutes, uh, you know, by train. It's a lot easier and cheaper too. So, you know, if, if it's, if you got like the option for around the same price, go with Haneda, but you probably won't, you'll probably end up having to fly at least one way, if not both ways, uh, with Narita, but don't sweat it too much. There's plenty of train options and everything. So, uh, that's all the stuff for transit. Do we want to talk a little bit about like, hotels and airbnbs i guess sure Um, so my experience honestly is uh you know if you're trying to save money especially i would definitely tell you to go airbnb um you know you need to book it far enough in advance if you want to find something you're actually gonna like um because they actually have cracked down the airbnbs but since our last trip so there are you know between in the last two years they they passed some new laws and stuff that made it a little bit harder. So, you know, a lot of them got shut down. So there's less, there's just less of them now. But we were still able to book, uh, you know, you, you I know you stayed at mostly Airbnbs too, right? You and Albert? Well, we did, um, and I was going to mention this um, in a second. We did a hotel in Tokyo and we did an Airbnb in Osaka. Okay. Because we, we did a hotel for like our first two nights from Tokyo, which I recommend even if you're going to stay at Airbnbs for the rest of the time. It's nice to just be able to check into the hotel and at least give them your bags or something. So I do think the hotel first is a, a good plan. So we did two nights at the hotel in Tokyo. And then, you know, and we did we did the Tokyo Dome Hotel, actually, which is really cool. I always wanted to stay there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, we did two nights at the Tokyo Dome Hotel. And then... We did, um, you know, we did an Airbnb in Tokyo, which was, we, you know, picked a great location. I mean, the the, bet, the most important thing is honestly going to be your location. And we picked one, you know, we got really lucky, with, lucky, I guess, in booking it. I guess we also booked far enough ahead of time. But we booked a, a great hotel uh, right outside of, like, right outside of Yogoku. 
you know, Sumo Hall, maybe just like what? What you went there? Like what? Like a two minute walk? I well, guess, it's up literally across the street. <laughs> yeah. So we we got an apartment right there, um, and then we had another apartment in Osaka, and then another one back in Tokyo before we went home. So we did three different Airbnbs. I mean. The thing, the, the positive about Airbnb, the biggest one, of course, is that it's you know far more affordable. Um, if you're traveling in a big group, which we had, we had a uh, you know me, Nicole, my girlfriend Nicole, her friend Rich, uh, Quinlan, and then two others from Voice of Wrestling, Kelly and Paul, and so the six of us. I mean, you just you you can find some really affordable things to split it six ways. I mean, we we end up paying about an average of like forty two dollars a night per person for these Airbnb, which is you know. Uh, I think we even, or that was like just, like just one of them. I think another one was like $33 and you can find even cheaper. I just didn't want to go with ones that looked a little more sketchy, you know? So, you know, I kind of just, uh, I, I did go with a little more expensive even than I, than I had to, but yeah, we, we paid pretty, uh, pretty good prices. So, you know, and, you know, stayed in some nicer places, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. And, you know, I enjoyed pretty much all our places we stayed at. There were little things that annoyed me about each place, which it's never going to feel like a hotel, you know? I mean, there's always going to be little things. But given the amount of money you save versus a hotel, I think it's worth it unless you, again, just have a ton of money to burn. Um, so what was, you know, and we did stay at a nicer hotel. Like Tokyo Dome Hotel was like $200 a night. So the first two nights we did stay at a nice hotel. But that ended up being like a third of our overall uh, transportation budget. So uh, what did you, what was your your uh, accommodations like? So in Tokyo, we stayed in a hotel um, because I wanted to, I think one caveat to, what you talked about with airbnbs in um tokyo at least is that i found that it's easier to find affordable airbnbs when you have more people um because it was just me and albert and looking for airbnbs most of the airbnbs were more expensive than some of the hotels that we found um and the hotel we found i think we ended up paying about 50 dollars a night each yeah it's pretty good um so we weren't way above and our hotel um it was in a great location we were in conda uh right by conda station which has um a bunch of different trains you can take so it was very easy transportation wise um the hotel was very nice um you know, I had no complaints about the hotel. I think if you're going uh, to Japan for the first time and you are staying in a hotel, um, I don't know how the Tokyo Dome Hotel was compared to um, probably what people think of as sort of a Western-style hotel. Yeah. But I think you think of that and you walk in and you say, oh, I've got so much, you know, room. You, you know, some hotels, I know a lot of hotels have desks in them and you know, our, I mean, we had two beds in our, um, hotel. It was great. It was perfect for what we needed, but you're not going to walk in and go, Oh my God, I have so much space yeah. here. Um, They're usually a lot smaller. and I stayed in a hotel actually our last night on the last trip, um, because we did DDT Peter Pan and then we all sort of split up and I did a, um, a hotel, 
that I think was only about $35 for the night. And I mean, the room was pretty much just the bed. Yeah. Like you walk in and it's like, you're either going to sleep or sit on the bed or you're going to leave. That was a solo um, room, right? Yeah, it was a solo room. Because they do have those, by the way. Because I did that on my first trip too. I stayed a solo room at the Shinagawa Prince Hotel. And it was like it was like $70 because it's a nicer hotel. But obviously, you know, $70 for a nice hotel is cool. It's just you, basically the room was like, yeah, you enter the room, there's the bed, you can get to the bathroom, and that's it. So Right, and they're nice. They're not run down in any way, or they're yeah. not. I mean, they are very nice. I mean, our hotel this time even had when we would walk in the door you know we would put our key card in a slot and the lights would turn on yeah uh, to these settings that we had made um and you know they had so it was very nice it's just that it may be for some people who are used to these sort of hotel you know sweet hotels at a uh marriott or something um you know would probably walk in and go oh gosh this is you know so small, but it was great for us. I really liked it. In Osaka, um, I definitely understand what you mean about saying, because uh, we did an Airbnb, um, about you sort of go, and I said to someone, I don't even remember who it was, um, it was a place I don't think I would ever want to live. Yeah. Um, just because you think of it as it is an apartment. We were in an apartment. Um, just because there's some strange things, like we had... Um, I mean, our bathroom was, you pretty much walk in and that's all you can do. There's no room. Um, you know, the bathroom sink was in the kitchen. Um, they had a washing machine, which was on our balcony, um, <laughs> which was a bit odd. So they're not play. You're not going to walk in and go, Oh, what a beautiful, yeah. What a beautiful place. But as a location to sort of, just used for sleeping. Yeah. Um, it was good. And we had a good location. We were about a five or 10 minute walk from Osaka castle from Osaka Joe hall. Um, so that was great. We had two different train stations, um, within a few minutes of us, which was great. Yeah. Um, so, but outside of the city, I think that the Airbnb prices really go down. Um, and they're really a lot more affordable. So I think outside of Tokyo, I think for smaller groups, probably the Airbnbs are more, um, probably more on the table. Yeah. Um, but even in Tokyo, yeah. you can still find cheaper options. Depends on where you go. Here's my general advice for booking the Airbnbs. First of all, you want to book these like as soon as you know your dates. Even if you haven't booked your fucking flight yet, if you're waiting you know, for the flight to come down and hopefully for it to come down, I mean, the Airbnb is always the first thing I book because if something gets booked, that's it. You know, you can't get it for those days. So as soon as you see one you really like, you want to book that. Even you're going to have to pay it up front or at least pay half up front. Usually I just pay the whole thing up front. Um, and you, you only can get like a limited refund on most of them. So you have to be really certain of your dates. But as soon as you are, you know, certain of your dates, that should be like the first thing you book. Second of all, always read the reviews before you book anything especially important for um you know the how close is to a train station because i definitely come across ones that are like oh we're five minutes from the train station and then you read the view and it's like oh it was like 15 minutes actually 
<laughs> like they just straight up lied. So definitely read the reviews and you know see what see what it says. Um, you know, to me, location is the most important thing. You know, it's cool if it looks nice or whatever, and I, I you know I do look for that and go through the pictures, obviously. But you want to be very very close uh, to, you know, you want to be very very close to a train station. You know, which we got, you know, our Ryogoku one was like right across the street from Sumo Hall, which is right next to a train station. Our Osaka one was like a six minutes from an Osaka Loop Line station. And then our second Tokyo one was again like maybe a two minute walk from that Kita Ikebukuro station. So you want to be close to a train station because the trains will take you everywhere and it's so easy to do transfers there. I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about exactly what station you're next to because no matter what you're next to, you know, on our last one, we were we were next to like this commuter line that we had to transfer to immediately. But like, the trains are so close together in in Tokyo that you know, and these they come so frequently that like it doesn't matter if you have to do a bunch of transfers because you know they just they come so quickly. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have to do a transfer, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's those are like the two biggest tips, um, you know. And then just be prepared, you know, be prepared for it to not be like like Taylor was saying, it's not. The first two especially are not places I want to live because they just had weird little oddities about them and, you know, the, the beds weren't that comfortable or, you know, only some of the beds were comfortable or, you know, the showers were weird or, like, we were sleeping in a basement in Osaka. Like, these these ones especially that are for big groups, it's clear they, they put beds in places that were not meant to have beds. Like, like, you know, the one in Osaka, we were clearly in a basement because, like, the light's at the top and, you know, there's no light switch down there so clearly it was not meant to be slept in but that's you know what they have to do to make it accommodate six people um but yeah i mean like the the one in the second one in tokyo though the the, the kita ikebukuro one that's like the first one where i'm like oh actually i would like to live here this is a very quaint little neighborhood and the apartment's actually really nice so that apartment i could see myself living in honestly um, but yeah, if you're traveling in a big group, especially be prepared for like little we- weird things about the apartments, but you know, look for one, look for at least 1.5 baths. Uh, it's very nice to not have to wait for a toilet constantly. Uh, we had like two bath, we had two showers and two toilets in our first Airbnb and like, you know, at least two toilets in the second one. Um, but yeah, you know, that's pretty much my general advice. Hotels, you know, if you're traveling by yourself, look for solo rooms. Um, you know, the, there's, there's like business hotels, which I think, isn't that kind of what you say that, right? Or at least one of them? Um, no, I don't think the one was a business. Oh, okay. No. Well, there are business hotels. If you want to get adventurous, there's capsule hotels, but I would advise you not to do that for more than one night, especially because, uh, like these are supposed to be very short term accommodations. So basically, you can't just check in for four nights, from what I understand. I've, I've never stayed it myself, just from what I've read. Like, you basically, if you check in one night and then, you know, you want to stay there multiple nights, you have to check out and then check back in every day. So that sounds like it would get really annoying to me if I could do that every single day. So that's why I would not recommend doing that more than one night. I mean, I could see staying there, like, for the, you know, uh, you know, just to try it, basically. But, you know, it's not really up my alley, honestly. Um, if you want to get really cheap, there's hostels. Apparently, there are a lot of hostels in Tokyo. Uh, there's a Tokyo Youth Hostel Federation you can look into. Um, I believe they have an English 
language websites. So if you don't mind rooming with people you don't know or sharing the bathroom and stuff, that's I've seen that I've heard they get as cheap as like fifteen twenty dollars a night. Um, you know, they don't do no, don't do love hotels. Don't do love hotels. Or, or do if you have reason to, but <laughs> not just a stay. Yeah, um, yeah, not as a stay. Yeah, yeah. The you know, there's other than that. There's also, um, oh god, what's the last second? If you really want to save money, you can go to a fucking manga cafe, uh, which you know you can just basically. They even have a lot of them even have showers now. So you know, if you want to go sleep in a chair or like a little box, basically, you can do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's pretty much pretty much all the accommodation stuff. Um, you know, there's no shortage of options. I would just tell you to book it as early as you can, especially with hotels where like those often don't require you to pay up front, you know, books up, but like stuff fills up, especially in, in Tokyo or these other major cities. I mean, you know, the, the stuff does fill up fast. I mean, I tried to save the Tokyo Dome Hotel on all three of my trips. And this was the first time I was successful. It was just constantly full every time I tried to look before. So, you know, you just gotta, you gotta keep trying. Uh, but yeah, that's hotels. Uh, food is another thing we can talk about quickly. First of all, as New Yorkers, I think we can both say food and drink in Japan is very cheap. Like yes. Very, very cheap. <laughs> Agreed. Like, if you're a drinker, especially, like, basically, <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Like, look, if you're used to New York prices, like 7 to $9 beers, you know, six seven maybe six to nine dollars or like seven to like fifteen dollar cocktails i mean izakaya in in japan you can find beer for like 250 yen it's like two dollars you know uh they they the prices might go up to like 400 yen so like less than four dollars you can get you can drink anywhere in japan so you can buy like a chuhai which is like a you know like a carbonated uh alcohol drink or like a beer it's like 120 to 200 yen in a, in a you know any fucking 7-eleven and go drink it anywhere because they don't they don't they're not so weird they, they have no open container laws in japan so like drinks are so cheap there food food can also be very cheap obviously there's like you know michelin star restaurants if you really want to uh spend money but you know you can also go to izakaya which has like a lot of cheap food options there's ramen uh, there's like uh, kaiten sushi, which is like ro- you know uh, rotating sushi. Uh, there's sushi isekai. There's a lot of cheap options where you can eat for you know you know you can eat good food for like you know fifteen thirty dollars for your meal, which usually in- including drinks, even including alcohol. So a lot of cheap options there. Yeah, I think you can. Um... I mean, if you want, not to put it so bluntly, but you can get drunk about every night for about $6. Yes. Uh, which is what I did uh, <laughs> almost every night because um, I would stop by the 7-Eleven and I would um, just grab a couple uh, drinks and, um, you know, take them back to the hotel or the Airbnb or wherever we were staying. And, you know, I tried a lot of different drinks because at, you know, $2 or you know, a dollar fifty a pop, you can sort of try different things without worrying about wasting a lot of money. Yeah. Um, food, very cheap. I mean, we went to a lot of 
Um, fun places, ramen, sushi, as you mentioned. Uh, some more sort of on the on the path and some sort of off the path. Um, and we really never had... Now I know a little bit of Japanese, um, but certainly not a lot. We never really had any issue um, with any of the places we went to eat in terms of being able to order. Now, of course, you probably shouldn't walk into a restaurant that has a menu with no photos and won't, doesn't have an English menu. Yeah. Um, now, but but I mean, most of the places were um, very accommodating. Of here's here's um, a phrase us. you need to learn. Here's a phrase you need to learn immediately. Nandiska, because that means what is this? So if you if you like if they have pictures, especially you know even if they don't have an English menu, a lot of places will have English menus, so that's good. But if they don't have English menus, but they do have pictures, and you're just not sure what something is, you know, you can ask them. You know, Nandiska, what is this? And they will at least try to tell you in English, even if they they might not know. But at least if they give you the Japanese, you can like look up on Google Translate, which I did a few times because they were like sometimes when they would try to tell me something and I had no idea what the fuck they were saying. But you know, it's usually not that hard to figure out, uh, honestly. Um, and usually they do know, like they know the English word for chicken and stuff like that. So it's usually not that hard. Um, you know, if you're really nervous about the language in general, what I would tell you, and you know, especially when it comes to ordering and all that stuff, there's almost always at least one person who knows some English. Um, you know, sometimes they might take a little while to get them. And I, I think at that Yakiniku place, we went to Osaka, I think they might have like gotten a chef or something. <laughs> it took so long for them to bring that guy out. But like, you know, if you're in a touristy area, I, I can almost guarantee they will either have an English menu or at least somebody who knows English. If you're in a less touristy area, like we weren't in that Osaka neighborhood, then you're more like, you know, it's a little less likely the menu will be in English and or the, um, you know, they'll, they'll have an English menu. So that's where you're going to get into a lot of pointing, uh, you know, just point at a picture and say, you know, uh, you know, you could say Kole uh, if you want to be rude. Or you can say like Kochila Onigashimasu, which is like a more polite way to say like this, please. Um, but, you know, it's it's really not, you know, they, they're, you're a foreigner. You know, they're not they're not sitting there like giving you dirty looks because you're pointing. They're just like, oh, OK, sure. So, yeah, if the menu has photos, you even if you speak English directly to them and they speak only Japanese back to you, if they've got photos, you can point at the menu and really, I mean, you'll figure it out to some degree. I mean, we we as I said, we went some on the path and some off the path. I mean, we went to lunch one day um, in Kanda. We just sort of wandered into a place and yeah. it turned out it was a um, sort of l speed lunch place for businessmen, um, which we didn't realize walking in. So they handed us the menu, but it turned out only five things on the menu were available during lunch um, because everything, uh, they make this stuff very fast and everything is 500 yen so that businessmen can come in, eat and get out the door Um and we didn't realize that at first, but we sort of stumbled through it, figured it out, got our food, and you know, got out of there. Um, so that was really our main. That was really the 
the one meal we had the biggest struggle, but every other time it was either people had English menus or someone spoke English or we just, you know, there were some I got through just using Japanese, um, which just if you have a couple phrases that you know, I mean, if you know how to say check, if you know how to say excuse me, if you know how to say, um, as John said, this, I mean, you can get through most of this stuff because also a lot of the, um, a lot of it is going to be when they say how many, you know, you can do, you can show with your fingers, you know, two you know what, or you know four. I'm going to tell people that a very underrated thing to learn, especially. So if you're in an izakaya or like a lot of other kinds of restaurants, um, they're, they will only give you one menu, right? And they're very used to people ordering for a large group, you know, or even a small group. They, they're very used to only dealing with one person. They're not as used to like everybody ordering for themselves. So, you know, if you can like figure out what you want to order ahead of time, the most of the trouble we got into was when people would all try to order for themselves and they confused the waitress because she would keep adding stuff to like, you know, they, they just want you to say you want three of this thing, not like I want one of this thing, I want one of this thing, I want one of this thing. So if you watch Japanese people order in places like this, they will have like one person ordering for the group and it's both be, just how they do things. They, they do share a lot more plates there. So a thing I would tell you to learn before you go is the counters, which are different than their numbers. Like even if you know Ishni, San, you know, Yon, Go, the counters are a little bit different. They, they're actually, they use different kanji readings. So, you know, the generic counter is, uses uh, su at the end. So if you could learn the counters before you go, so you can sit there and order multiples of different things, that will help you out a lot. It will make the ordering a lot smoother. And, you know, if you can just say, you know, uh, you know, kore, hitotsu, just like one of this. Or like, you know, if you know what it, say, what it says on the menu, if you can say, you know, whatever the thing is, sans, uh, sans, whatever the thing is, mitsu, just like three. So it's like hitotsu, futatsu, mitsu, yo, uh, oh God, yotsu, itsusu, uh, mutsu. Um, I think it's mitsu actually, but <laughs> whatever, nanatsu, and on and on. So, I mean, really, you need to know more than seven because, you know, you're unlikely to order more than seven things or anything. But even if you just know that, like that's a huge help. There's knowing the counters and being able but, to order for your group. But yeah, if you, you, you can also use your fingers. I mean, <laughs> you know? they, they'll often do it to They often did it to us where they, and we were like, yeah, you know. See, I assume they were giving me the fingers back because they, they thought I might be too stupid to know what I was asking for. Like, you know, oh, this dumbass America, do they, do they actually know what Mitsu means or do they, uh, you know, are they sure they want to order three of this thing? But then JoJo told me that they just do that for everybody. They just put up the fingers even for Japanese people. So it's not just because you're stupid. It's they, they actually do that for everybody. But uh, but yeah, so I don't know. If you if you want to learn the country, you go. You know, that's something. But like Taylor's saying, you can also just do fingers. I guess that's fine too. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I would definitely recommend trying a variety of different places. There's, there's lots of quick places you can go that are like more like chains, but there's also, you know, eat at like a real izakaya too, like a local joint, you know, eat like a local ramen. Even if you're not gonna, you know, go really, really fancy, you know, try to eat at some local places too. But, you know, it's the food there is awesome. So, 
and you'll eat for cheap and you'll you still eat really great food. Um, let me think if there's anything else you want to cover. I guess the last thing before we talk about some wrestling finally <laughs> on this wrestling podcast, um, the like the anime uh, video game stuff, you know, everybody knows Akihabara, obviously, I think, which is like the like the big geek district in Tokyo. Um, you know, if you're like a someone who likes who like me who grew up, you know, towards the end of the arcade era, just walking through all those arcades and you know seeing these like you know these bustling arcades still, you know, filled with people playing, it's really really cool. So you know, because obviously America for the most part arcades are pretty dead here. So there's a ton of arcades, not just in Akiba, but all over different districts. Um, you know, and the, the arcades can be very different. You know, you'll have round one, which is like more of like a, you know, they call it like the sports entertainment uh, place. So we were all making jokes about WWE and how round one was good shit and all that. But um, so like, I'll have multiple floors, um, you know, it'll have like a lot of different stuff. Um there's also like stuff that's more based on like, uh, like the Hirose, the Hirose Entertainment Yard, the Taito Hay in Akiba is a really cool arcade because it has like a ton of retro shooters and like beat them up some fighting games along with newer stuff. Um, you know, there's a ton of music games in some of these arcades. Obviously, there's also what they call metal games. Which do you know what metal games are, Taylor? They've explained this to you. I don't. So Metal Games is a very, very Japanese invention. It's a very interesting invention. It's basically because gambling is technically illegal there, right? But, you know, they get around that a, a bit with Pachinko. Uh, don't don't play Pachinko, by the way. Like, real Pachinko, it's very expensive. It's like $10 to play, and it can be very confusing. I tried a little bit. I didn't really do it at all on this trip. Um, but they get around that with Pachinko where, like, you can play. You play for these balls and these little silver balls and, like, you can trade them in for prizes, and one of the prizes is like this booby prize that you take around around the corner to very legitimate businessmen and exchange it for money. So that's the one way to get around, um, you know, the gambling ban. The weirder way to get around the gambling ban is metal games in arcades, which not all arcades have them, but a bunch do, uh, like the round ones and some other arcades. The one by Shinjuku Face has like a you know whole metal game floor, and Basically, it's gambling where you can't actually win any money. So you you put money in to either get just get medals to play with, or to play like fake pachinko or some other game which will award you with medals. And when you get these medals, you can use them to play other games. Like there's games you. I remember one time when I walked into an arcade on my first trip, and I went to put try to put money into a game that only took medals and this woman like frantically running up to me and she did not speak any English, but she was trying to get across to me that I cannot put my money in this machine and I can only play with medals. And I'm like, what? I can't, I can't pay to play this game. And it's like, no, you can only pay with play this game with medals. So you can win medals to gamble uh, at other medals, uh, other medal games. Like they have this weird game at the Sega arcade called like, astro bingo or something that involves this like giant like beach ball thing like bounces into the holes to see if you win or lose like it's just filled with salary men there like chain smoking while they play this game because yeah by the way you can smoke in a lot of indoor places in japan still although apparently that's changing they're getting rid of it in restaurants finally next year um but yeah so they're just just chain smoking playing this game and like 
if you win, you win more medals, but you cannot turn the medals into money or even prizes. So all you can do with these medals is continually win more medals to play more medal games. So it's essentially gambling for nothing except the opportunity to gamble some more. It's very, it's like a very uniquely Japanese solution to not being able to gamble, but yeah, that's a metal game. So if you want to play, if you want to waste some time by fake gambling, you can do that. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Does that sound appealing to you, Taylor? Some metal games. Uh, no, I only played one. <laughs> I only play one arcade game. So I would go into the arcade, find that game, play it, and then leave. What game? What game? Uh, Groove Coaster. Oh yeah, you're the uh, Groove Coaster guy. I'm the Groove Coaster man. I am a uh, I'm a Sound Voltex enthusiast. So, so that's that's the game I play the most of. But I play that you know even at home. So I'm just I, I, being able to like walk into an arcade there and see like twenty fucking Sound Voltex machines like all in a row on two sides of a fucking aisle where like here, the few round ones we have in America, which are, you know, not even hard to, not, not even that easy to find. Like you're either going to get one or two machines. So they'll always be like waiting around to play. Whereas in Japan, you're never waiting around to play. There's just so many fucking machines of everything. Um, but yeah. So like, obviously the arcades are really cool. Uh, Akiba has a ton of anime stores. Oh, sorry. Do you want to say something about arcades? It, it would be great if you could, open this podcast with the um, voice of the girl who says groove coaster um, <laughs> in the vi- when you put the, your money in she says groove coaster I won't try and uh, imitate <laughs> it but she says groove coaster Taylor's like uh, I am not getting cancelled yeah. uh, no cancellation <laughs> going on here but it would be great if that's the way this podcast started okay. with that girl I, saying I guess groove you coaster don't look- I guess you don't listen to wrestling omakase because I haven't really been doing the the cold opening things anymore. I like gave up on them. Well, this but. is one oh one. It's a new start. <laughs> Bring them back. Um, but yes, I don't know. We'll see. I probably won't do that. But anyway, wow. so right. that's the that's the arcade. Um, you know, arcades. There's a ton of them. You really can't go wrong. Just walk into a bunch of them. You'll have so much. You'll definitely enjoy yourself, especially if you love arcades like I do. Um, you know, so there's arcades. Uh, there's a ton of anime stores. Obviously, you know, you have these. You have your giant chains like Animate and Gamers, uh, which Gamers, by the way, not a video game store. It's an anime store, which is a little weird, I guess, but that's what it is. Um, the other cool thing about Akiba is they have these these multi floor buildings that like basically house little mini stores on each floor. So there's two of them like that. There's the Radio Kaikon building when you first walk out of the station. And there's the Tokyo Culture Zone, which is a little bit further down. I like Tokyo Culture Zone a lot better. Uh, that's the one I go to more often when I'm in, in Japan. I don't even go. I didn't even go to Radio Kaikon this time. I mean, if you have time, you might as well go to both. But if you're in a rush, I would say definitely pick Tokyo Culture Zone over Radio Kaikon. Um, but some other like anime areas off the beaten path a little bit more. Uh, definitely go to Nakano Nakano Broadway if you have time. It's like this really cool. Um, old style mall it's like one of the few places in tokyo that just looks old and you know nakano broadway it's filled with these multiple floors full of like uh these mandrake stores which is like these secondhand uh like anime and manga but also like you know they have all sorts of shit they have like power rangers sentai common rider store that little specific store they have you know even like a u.s uh like you know marvel and all that kind of stuff store they have 
all these little weird little stores. So definitely check that out if you you know not gonna know Broadway. Um, you know, Ikebukuro obviously has like their own. That's like the the secondary anime district, and they have like their own stores and arcades and all sorts of stuff. Definitely worth checking out if you have. Uh, you know, if you're if you're gonna check out, I rec- I like it better than Akiba, honestly. And in Osaka, there's Denden Town, which I completely forgot to go to on our last trip, but I went this time. And Denden Town again, it's like Osaka's version of Akiba. It's near the Namba area, which is my favorite part of Osaka. But like, it, it's filled with again like anime anime stores and anime. You know, there's an anime there. There's arcades. The one thing they have that's very unique to Denden Town that they don't really have in in uh, Tokyo is they have these stores that are almost entirely gacha. So like, gotcha, people don't know what gacha is. It's like you know, basically randomized. You know, like like a random lottery. And, you know, it's like they have gacha pond, which is like those those little balls that you get full of like you know random anime related items, or not even just anime anime related. There's all sorts of stuff. And, you know, there's gotcha mobile games and stuff like that. But these figure stores are like, you go in the figure store and most of the items in the store cannot be bought. Instead, there's like this little machine at the start. You put the equivalent of $10 in and it gives you a ticket. And the ticket is like, you know, of, of like several categories, usually like S, A, B, and C. Uh, um, I think you could buy a better one that gets, you can pay more money to get rid of the C because of S, A, and B. But we did the one with the S, A, B, and C. And, you know, if you get the S on the start all going down, you know, you can pick an item in that category. So you have to, like, leave it into the hands of luck, whether you can get something good or not. So we did this. And, of course, Quinn and I both got the C. So we ended up paying $10 for, like, a fucking $3 keychain, probably. But, hey, if, you, if you're luckier than me, you can pay $10 for, like, a $100 figure or something if you get S. So... Interesting little thing in Den Den Town. Um, you know, and then that's very close to the Namba area, which is one of the coolest parts of Osaka in general. And it's also where the Osaka Wrestling Bar is, which is a fun little story we should tell. So we went there. This is our second time there in in Namba in, in Osaka. It's called Bar 2.99. It's a kind of, it's this little tiny wrestling bar, basically just a small little bar and these two tables. But uh, I think it's worth checking out. And they have all these photos of wrestlers all over the place. Uh, you know, the the drinks aren't bad. It's a little on the expensive side for Japan. It's like a 500 yen seat charge, which are very common there. Oh, we didn't even mention, by the way, there's no tipping in Japan at all. So whatever the price you get for your, for your bill, like that's the price you pay. So it's not even like Europe where you can tip. It's just not always expected. Like in Tokyo... I saw them chase a man into the fucking street to give him his money back when somebody on my first trip basically left a couple coins on the table, I guess either not thinking or just thinking, you know, I have to leave money for them. They chased this man into the street to give him his coins back because they did not want his, like, fucking $3 or whatever. So they do not want your money. Do not try to tip in Japan. Anyway, so they instead they some places will have these seating charges that are, like, you know... 500 yen per person you know, like the equivalent of like five dollars that gets added to your bill um you know not all places have that though by any means it's, it's usually like smaller bars and uh like local izakai and stuff like that but back to the story though bar 2.99 we we went there on a monday night and 
Uh, do you remember? Do you want to tell the people, Taylor, what Monday night means at Bar Two Point Nine Nine? Because they have a they have a very set schedule of what theme things we playing each day. So what was playing well, on a Monday? Well, in the and the first time we went, they were showing the G One Finals, which we had just been at. Yeah. Um, because it was New Japan. Mon- right. Uh, Monday nights are WWE nights. <laughs> yes. And guess what show they were showing? Uh, the the equal to or equivalent <laughs> of WrestleMania hit show, right? Isn't that the yes, that's words the of it? They use. Uh, yes. Super Showdown. So they were showing Super Showdown when we arrived. Um, you arrived a little later, I think. But we yeah, because arrived. we were having dinner. We were having, yeah. yeah. So we, me, uh, like Nicole Quinlan, uh, Paul, and Kelly arrived first and we saw we saw the show right from the start so we got to see the seth rollins baron corbin masterpiece um i should also mention when we arrived there were like five other japanese people in this bar watching the show with us um you know we were like in the back of the table and they were all at the bar so they were watching the show and i don't know if it was by the time you got there or soon after that place cleared the fuck out real quick and there was like one japanese person left because you know, Super Showdown, I guess, was so engaging that these people were just like, oh, we're good. Let's go. <laughs> we don't need to watch the rest of this. So Super Showdown did not keep them around. Uh, but yeah, so then do you want to tell people what happened when we got to Shane McMahon versus Roman Reigns? Well, you you tell them that, and then I'll tell them um, about the follow the following match because that was the thing that caught my attention. Oh, okay. So Shane McMahon versus Roman Reigns happens, and if you don't know the finish of that match, folks, it, that, this would be a match where after taking like ninety five percent of the match, uh, you know, Roman Reigns finally makes a fucking comeback on this fucking fifty year old non wrestler and gets cut off by Drew McIntyre, who gives him one claymore kick. And Shane McMahon then pins Roman Reigns. And this Japanese man at the table, this fucking salary man at the bar, just like lets off like the fucking hardest laugh. Like, does that, I, I can't really do the Japanese laugh. It's it's very like unique, you know, uh, a very distinctive laugh, I would say. I don't think that's offensive or anything. But he just gives this like, gives like this very Japanese laugh and just like, you know, is like fucking cracking up and dying. And the bartender's like, you know, also laughing and our table's laughing. So it's one of my favorite memories of the entire trip, honestly. The entire fucking bar of what's left of it, basically, laughing at Shane McMahon pinning Roman Reigns. Uh, so, yes, that was one of my favorite things. What was your, what what, what happened after, Taylor? I don't even remember. Because then the following match was Randy Orton. Oh, versus uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Triple H and Randy Orton came out, and then Triple H came out on his like motorcycle <laughs> tricycle or whatever <laughs> it is, which I had seen before because he used it for some WrestleMania when he came out with um, Stephanie on the back, but she wasn't on the back, so it was just sort of a tricycle for no reason. But it came out, and they started laugh. They, I, I don't know if they even understood what it was. I don't know if they were like, what is he riding? Why is he riding this three-wheeled um, thing to the ring? Yeah. And they started laugh. That was the last thing because they laughed. And then we got up and we, we left. Yeah, we did not stay for Hunter Hearst Hemsley versus Randall Orton. We were like, all right, time to get the fuck out of here finally. 
but yeah, that was quite the experience watching this the first like hour plus of Super Showdown in this bar in Japan. But but yeah, it was a uh, it's a really cool bar though. You want to tell the people about the bar, Taylor? Anything you can think of? Uh, I think you covered it. I mean, they just have po. I mean, the posters and the uh, Polaroids. Yeah. Um, on the wall really are the are the two major things. They have some belts. Um, the prestigious uh, United States, <laughs> yeah, the New IWGP, Japan, yeah. IWGP United States Championship belt, uh, the Divas title. I think they yeah, had. The <laughs> Nicole um, pointed that out. She was like, "Is that the woman's title?" I was like, "It was the woman's title." Like, I it think was the Divas bad. title. It was yeah. the Divas title. Yeah. Um, yeah, but just a fun place, like a really small um, bar that's like that almost looks like it could be in an office, like sort of an office building type space where it's just a bunch of floors with doors for different businesses. And one happens to be a tiny bar that's, you know, so that's a lot of, a lot of places in, in, in Japan like that, where you'll, you'll be looking, if you're looking for a specific bar, it might be in like one of the office buildings You have to go up basically until you get to the right floor and, you know, just look at like, they should be like a little, directory so it's almost like you know going to the fucking doctor here you'll because i guess the, the space is so limited you know this this is there's a lot of places like that in shinjuku in tokyo and a lot of places like that in osaka in namba which is just filled with places with these buildings full of uh i mean look even in tokyo tokyo districts where like you're trying to find like a is a kai or something it could be like on the fourth floor of something or karaoke frequently is on these like office buildings so you just gotta look for the what, what the you know look at the the signs outside. They'll usually have like multiple logos to tell you what's there, and then you just have to you know take the stairs, the elevator to get to your right floor. They'll usually tell you anyway. So, um, but yeah, I mean like Namba is just filled with those tiny bars like that. Uh, you know, definitely worth checking out. We found this other really cool bar, Nicole and I, in Namba, uh, walking around a different night that was like. Uh, Oh god, what the fuck was the name of it? It was like everything there was two hundred yen, so less than two dollars each every drink. So even with a four hundred yen uh, seat charge, you know that they had like this menu just like of you know like over a hundred drinks probably maybe even hundreds, and, and you know the menu was in English, which is cool. So you know for like with a four dollar seating charge for three drinks each, we still drank for like you know under ten bucks, and you know the drinks were really good. So. Definitely, if you can find the place, I, I really wish I could think of the name. Should get Nicole in here; she probably would tell me the name. But maybe I'll text her and I'll jump in with it later. But yeah, there are a lot of cool places to drink and eat in in Japan. Definitely, just like Taylor saying, just walk into places. The other cool thing to do in Japan, if you've never done it, is you know because it does exist here in America too in some places. But if you don't live near a big city, you might have never have seen it. Is like uh, Japanese style box karaoke. Do you want to tell the people about karaoke, Taylor? Uh, I mean, it is, um, I mean, it's sort of hard to describe. It just is sort of (laughs) what it sounds like. Uh, small room karaoke. Although I think that's become, I mean, obviously it's a little bit different in Japan. It's a little bit more, um, elaborate, but, I mean, it really has spread at least to New York. There's tons of um, yeah, there's tons of places places now. So I think it's become um, pretty popular. But you just go in a small room and you you know you got a TV and you do karaoke with with your friends. 
Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you, you know, obviously being in a different country, you get some songs that you probably, uh, would not be able to sing in, uh, the United States or wherever else. Um, but yeah. So Nicole did jump in with the name of the bars talking about the two hundred yen drinks. She thinks it was Bar Moonwalk, which I think is true. Like say a two hundred yen bar. Oh, look at that! There's like three of them. Wow. Even stuff that I don't think is a chain that you don't think of as chains. It looks more local. Often turns out to be like mini chains in Japan. But if you're in Osaka, there's like one in uh, Nishishinobashi. There's one in Namba, and it looks like there's another one close to Umeda. So definitely check that one out if you're ever in Osaka. Um, but yeah, so karaoke, it's great there. Um, I would tell you, try to go to a karaoke place that uses, if you're, if you're, you do find ones in America, they will often use the, um, what's called the, there's two karaoke systems. There's Joy Sound and Live Dam. And it's way easier to find Live Dam in America, especially in New York. Like all the big ones use Live Dam. Um, in Japan, you know, you can find either one pretty easily. So definitely try to find one that uses Joy Sound, either a, joy sound place because it's its own chain or karaoke can or um i'm trying to think what else is uses them i think uh Pasela uses them you know a few different ones so try to find one that uses joy sound it's very different from uh live dam as far as what they offer i think they have a better offering you know this is the one where you can sing like uh you can sing dragon gate theme songs <laughs> you know they have like the the real hazard theme and muscular countdown and all this fucking shit um but yeah, karaoke is a great time there. It just, you know, obviously if you go in the daytime, it'll be less expensive than night, but even at night, it's not that bad. You know, trying to go crazy with drinks and food because that's where they really get you. But, you know, the even with like drinks and food, it was never more than like 30 to $40 each for, you know, a couple hours. So, hey everybody. So we actually went a little over on this episode, a little past our three hour recording limit. So the solution was to split it in two. So part one ends here with uh, all of our Japan travel stuff. But definitely check the Omakase Twitter feed where you should see uh, immediately if you're listening to this right away or you know very quickly after, you should see part two where Taylor and I go through all the shows we went to on the second half of the trip in Japan. We talked Dragon Gate, New Japan, uh, Hard Hit, Tokyo Joshi, much more. And then we also talk a, you know, we have a huge mailbag full of your questions, uh, mostly on J- Japanese travel stuff. So, you know, we'd go into a lot more detail too on like how to purchase tickets, uh, how to reserve tickets ahead of time, which, you know, obviously I think will be a helpful topic if you never had to do it. So yeah, definitely check out part two. Part one ends here, but come back for part two. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shiny star with great interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.